I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. My guest on Thriving Matters podcast this episode is Mark McCurgue and I'm speaking to Mark from the absolutely delicious Scotland. We've known each other for a little while, Mark and I. So over to you, Mark. How are you today? What's the morning like? So hi, Carrie. Hi, everybody. Speaking to you from Edinburgh, Scotland. It's a oh. glorious morning here today. Absolutely blue sky, sun, and of course, we're all locked inside, but we're getting used to it. <laughs> Well, it's disrupting, but it's also given us a chance to throw a few things out and get our house in order, um, metaphorically speaking. And I know I'm talking to someone who likes a good metaphor, Mark. I do. I think metaphors are very, very powerful. They work in, in amazing, fast and dramatic ways. So a metaphor people get instantly because it connects something we know with something we don't know yet. Using a metaphor is incredibly powerful. And I think we're going to talk a bit about my metaphor of uh, leading and acting as a host on this podcast. One of the ways that people can thrive is think about how you can host others. So we'll come to that. Yeah, we will. And thank you, because the aim of the podcast is to talk to ordinary guys and gals like ourselves who are doing quite extraordinary things. And I looked at your recent bio and since I've known you, you've been quite prolific in writing books, sharing your thinking, and I'd say having a whole lot of fun with that. Because for me, the way I've gotten to know you is that you absolutely love what you do. And so I was thinking, well, we can talk about those books. We can actually talk about the latest one. Let's find out first what it is that you really love about the work you do. What would be some of the things that tick all the boxes for you? I love to help people and I love to help people to help people. So my work these days is working with coaches, consultants and others who are in helping professions. I used to do a lot of coaching and management development originally was what I started off doing, but I've kind of changed that into supporting others. And I think my work can have its best impact when I reach out to professional communities like coaches, therapists, uh, social workers, teachers, consultants, you know, and that's the way to really move the world along is to help people to help themselves and help others. So I love that. And when I knew that you were going to ask this question, I also started reflecting on the way that I've somehow, I don't know how I managed to do this, but I've carved a career and a life which I really love. And I think everyone has their own ideas of what a life you love. Mm. looks like and uh, I've been unnerved at times that if once you start to focus on things like that how quickly you can actually start to move things along and bring that about and it's not a sort of sudden kaboom it's more of a oh just a minute this is nice and I had that experience years and years ago when I first started doing management development lying on the floor of my bedroom and as a young man and thinking about this house I'd like to have with somebody else in it and a kind of management development practice. And before, and 
a year and a half later, I had it. It was spooky and uh, nothing magical, but just this sort of sense of if you know kind of what you want and you start moving towards it, then interesting things can happen. It's true. There's small steps towards the dream that you've had and you make it possible That's each it. small steps. Yeah. And yeah, you're quite right. That's why I've done a number of things recently and I just love talking about being a host and really you're hosting your own life as well. You can use that metaphor for how you host the possibilities. You absolutely can. That's a really interesting thing. So a host, of course, is someone who receives and entertains guests. That's the dictionary definition. And we all know this idea, mostly in sort of social sense. You invite people around for dinner. You have a party, you know. You go to someone else's party and you're being hosted by them as a guest. And, of course, host and guest is the key relationship in that. But we can also use that same thinking. It's about how are we hosting our lives? Who are we inviting into our lives? How are we helping them to make a good contribution? How are we introducing them to other people? who help our lives, how we're we building our own community. And so that same set of skills and ideas that you use to put on a good party can also be used to put on a good life, basically. <laughs> but if you start thinking about it that way, who am I inviting and what am I inviting and how am I keeping out the things that I don't want at boundaries, then we have a, immediately a new way of thinking about how we can take some degree of control of our lives. Of course, you can never have total control. Unfortunately, there's always stuff happening and people doing things you didn't want them to do and, you know, <laughs> stuff going on in the background like the virus at the moment. But, you know, within that, we have influence and we can start to shape our lives. And the way we do that can be by thinking about what are we inviting, what are we not inviting, and how are we working with that. That is a great segue to the disruption that we find ourselves in at the moment. And you said you locked down, isolated. I did hear someone last week express it as safe sheltering. And I went, oh, I like that. And for me, it's a little bit softer to the situation that we find it in. And someone might say, well, Carrie, you're off with the planet, you know. But I think when we talk about the host metaphor, we can apply it to even situations now where things aren't our usual normal self. We can't change a number of things, but we still have control over those things that are immediate to us. And that's why I like the host. And I love that idea of who are you going to get rid of? What are you going to throw away? Who don't you invite back in again? That is a really crucial thing to do because I know I have different people at parts of my life. And it seems that just in the last two years when I left a large organisation to work by myself, that I've had a, a circle around of people from original days when I then I got bogged down in the organisational mission and vision, not my own personal one, but the organisational one. And they've seemed to have come back, but it's there's some wisdom in it. There's a maturity to the thinking and there's a passion for leaving something for a future that's not our own now, but it is for later on. So that's why I like this notion of host, because more and more people are saying, you know, the virus has actually brought a lot of our families back together. And there's been some really great things around community. And you talk about community a lot in your books as well, and in your yeah. work that you do. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the virus is creating more local communities. We've noticed that here. We have now in our street a street WhatsApp group and a street email list, which we never had. People are a bit standoffish in our street under normal circumstances, but people have got together. And I've started doing a saxophone performance every Sunday evening outside, standing on my front step. And we live in a crescent, so people can come out from their own front steps and hear the performance every Sunday. And little things like that. So we now say hello to each other in the street in a way that we didn't before because we know each other. There are some good things coming from this. Of course, we'll have to work to keep them and to build them and to keep them relevant as we go forward. I have been able to be part of some of your improvisation and the way that you've worked together with your other musicians, but I'm a bit jealous of that saxophone. We just recently had Anzac Day, which is a celebration of our veterans for our, and got invited. So at 5am in the morning, there were bagpipes and a saxophone in place of the trumpet around the corner and a whole ceremony with the rosemary, with the, you name it, we had it, Anzac Biscuits, the works are reading, the eulogy, the last post, you name it. And uh, there's something around music and the work that you do that goes together. So have you got any thoughts on why you think that's so powerful and why they go together? Well, music is a very fundamental thing in all human societies. Music is a powerful force. And indeed, there are one or two societies where music is somewhat frowned upon precisely because it's a powerful source. (laughs) And in the old days, you know, in the early 20th century, when jazz was arriving, it was the devil's music because it made people excited and and people, the Salvation Army founder, uh, Bramwell Booth, that was famously quoted as saying, why should the devil have all the best tunes, have its own good tunes, you know, in that tradition. (laughs) So music affects us very fundamentally at three levels. I've done some work on this. I can just share a bit with you if you like. First of all, it affects our physiology. And fast music starts to raise your heart rate and your blood pressure and your physiological signs. And there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, (laughs) If you like the music, it does it quicker. But it's very hard to resist if there's fast music going on where our bodies are going. And likewise, if there's slow music going on, the body starts to calm down. Yeah, so first one is physiological. The second way it affects us is emotion. The emotions of music. This is also very fundamental. There was interesting experiments went on actually in Australia with playing music, what we might say happy and sad music, to indigenous people. Mm-hmm. and then to the settlers, the, the Anglos, both from very different traditions. Nobody had any difficulty saying that's sad music and that's happy music. Complete agreement. So this emotional quality of music is completely cross-cultural. And we can tell, and it touches us in various ways. So music affects our emotions. And then finally, music can affect our brains and affect how we are in the world, how alert we are, how relaxed we are. And people who use mindfulness, of course, know all about using relaxing music and chanting and humming to do that. But there's the other way of doing it is listening to lively music like Mozart is shown to kind of fire up your brain to be alert and get ready. And so music therapists, I know, say that Mozart is like the morning coffee of music. It makes you alert in a way, in the same way that a good cup of coffee can. So if you're thinking about how to thrive, 
then thinking about how are you using music and other things yeah. to support that. And then maybe the lively music's good to have in the morning and then maybe a little reflection later on. And then after lunch, I like a bit of Latino music or something, get going again, you know, or a pause for reflection towards the end of the day. Actually, in lockdown here, we've just started listening to classical music in the evenings. And I'm really enjoying that, you know, exploring Beethoven again and Weber and Mozart and other composers like that. I find it very restful in the evening rather than watch the latest dreadful news, to think about how can you use music at different times in the day to help to lead your body and your mind into different places, the places that you want to go, because music can help you to move in those directions very, very effectively. And you can, of course, you can choose your own music. Some people like Bach, other people prefer Nine Inch Nails. This week I've been talking a bit about joy triggers, and for me, music is one of those triggers for me. It gives me a whole lot of joy. And even to the point where I put a playlist together, somebody said to me, have you got time, Carrie, to put a playlist together? And I went, yes, I do. And it was mainly with the idea of, well, look, there's so many emotions going up and down here. We've got a whole lot of different situation. We've got people who have been totally thrown out of their normal routine and they require that. So the playlist has come in very handy. So what I'm going to do, my call to action will be to add some actual classical to that because it's a little bit more contemporary. So what I wanted to also ask you today, Mark, is you've been in work or business been in your field for a number of years right you've got some maturity and experience a lot of wisdom there you've done a lot of research is there something you wished you had known when you first started out that you would share with us perhaps would have made something easier for you that's an interesting question I think one thing I've been realizing all along is that you have to back your own judgment when I was young I paid too much attention to other people you know, and I didn't do things the way I thought they should be done. I did things the way people advised me and they were wrong. <laughs> and I knew what I wanted to do. And so I wish I'd backed my own judgment more and earlier. And the other thing for me is to realize that sometimes you have to spell things out. I love making connections and I love putting things together. And I love, you know, saying, well, if this and that, then the other, maybe the other thing can happen. Actually, some people can see that very instinctively. But the vast majority of people don't really think like that. So you need to really spell it out. If this and then that, then we can do this. Okay? And kind of be really clear about it. And I've spent a lot of time kind of proposing things in slightly veiled terms, you know, suggestions, and people just not noticing them. And I've learned that the more I can come and say, this is how it is, if this and that, then the other, let's try that. And people go, oh, yeah, right. You know, and so this backing your own judgment and being clear about your working and why you're saying things. But I figured it out now, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it anyway. Yeah. A, I have a little badge somewhere that says, if I knew then, crossed out. And says, but I do know it now, right? <laughs> so the, it's the, not, the important thing is to live life as if you know what you know now, not worrying about what you wished you'd known then. Hindsight can yeah. be a pain in the backside, can't it? <laughs> For sure. But the point is, we do know it now. So let's act on it now. You've got a favourite quote that I have uh, recently seen in one of your books, you know, Albert Einstein. 
Well, the Einstein quote I've used a lot is that the thing should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. Yes. And it's the last three words of that quote that make it interesting because any fool can make things simple, but they're wrong. <laughs> you know, so as simple as possible, yes, but no simpler. There's a sense of whatever you're thinking and doing should also reflect reality and what's around you and actual experience and actual science and actual yeah. stuff. What I've learned over the years, I started off as a physicist way back when, you know, 40 years ago, I did a PhD yeah. in physics. I'm very glad about that. But physicists want things to be the same everywhere. Physicists study things that are the same everywhere. The force of gravity is the same everywhere. We know there are variables like if you're on a smaller planet, then gravity is less. But, you know, the fundamental gravity are the same everywhere. But the fundamentals of how you run an organization are not the same everywhere. And so we have this extra factor called context. And it's the context that makes human interactions different from physics-y interactions and billiard balls and atoms and things like that. Because there's more than just the message, what are you saying? There's all the context and all the subtlety that goes around it. So when Einstein's saying, let's make things as simple as possible, but not simpler, what he's saying is that we must take great care with the context, I think. That's how I take it to me. Uh, we should take great care with the context and we should take great care that we are not missing something important in our desire you know, to be simple and to get things done. Well, you would have great experience. You've been all around that we've worked in all countries apart from Antarctica, I believe. And I'm just going to ask you, is it a life goal to get down there as well? To be honest, I pinched from Steve DeShazer, who is the uh, originator of solution-focused therapy, which is the thing I major in, solution-focused practice and organisation. And he used to say that. It worked on every continent except Antarctica. And it was true of me, so I thought, well, I'll say it as well. And, uh, but we were supposed to go to Antarctica last December, but we were stymied because our luggage was stolen on the way, along with 280 other people's luggage, on the way to the cruise ship. So my attempt to get to Antarctica and next to the penguins about solution-focused therapy was foiled at the last minute. So we ended up having a sort of extended long weekend in Santiago, Chile, and then coming home again. And so you would have some really interesting observations of how people thrive in life and work from those that you've gotten to know in your work. And I suspect that would also influence the type of books you author and where you think the need is for basically helping us do our work more effectively and get the best out of people. So I write books about things things that are supposed to be hard, simpler and easier. I like the approaches that help people tap into resources and experience that they already have. And I like things that are somewhat counterintuitive. And they, so they force you to change the way you think about something or turn it upside down. So in Solution Focus, we address people's problems by not talking about the problem at all, but by talking instead about what they want. Uh, in host leadership, we say you can be a leader not by being the general at the top making all decisions, but by being the one rather who brings people together. But the one who brings the people together is undoubtedly in, in the lead in some ways. So uh, and both of these combine a new way of looking at something with a way that's approachable and doable without a lot of training. So my books 
are about things like about that. And one of the things I've noticed about people who really thrive is that they have a way of combining the big and the tiny. <laughs> Many people live life at a sort of middle-sized level of detail. And so we worry about what's going to happen next month. And we worry about what happened at work last week. I would like to encourage everyone listening to this podcast to both think bigger and think smaller. Hmm. So think about the next three years. You know? And then think about, well, suppose I was on track to achieve that in three years. What would I be doing tomorrow that, that would set me on track? And keep that tension between the big and the tiny. Because, you know, life happens in the detail, as somebody once said. And sometimes we overlook the smallest levels of detail and then we miss interesting things. So I would encourage people to think really big and act really small, but make those two things come together. Well, we have a particular situation, don't we, at the moment. We're now going to come out with the world's in different levels of lockdown. We've got a virus that seems to regenerate. There'd be a lot of new research coming out and a lot of opinion. If you were to use that advice, think big and then think small, small steps, what advice would you like to plant, would you like to seed with our listeners about what the world needs from us now and in the future? So here's the thing. The future belongs to the people who can rethink their businesses and their operations in ways that fit now and will fit going forward. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people kind of beating their breasts about, oh, when can we get back to normal? You know, by having huge concerts with hundreds of thousands of people in them or huge sporting events. And regressively, it's going to be several years, if at all, we come back to that. But the future will belong to the people who can say, what can we do now and how can we tackle it now in a way that works? And I'm already seeing little signs of that. For example, a restaurant up in St Andrews, about 30, 40 miles north of here, award-winning restaurant, uh, he started doing lobster and crab dinners delivered to your door. He said, if 20 people in Edinburgh will sign up for this, I'll do it. And 34 people signed up in Edinburgh, and I was one of them. And it was fantastic. Fantastic yep. food. And whereas takeaways used to be, you know, let's get a pizza. Yeah. Now we've got you know, beautiful St. Andrew's Bay lobster with mirin butter sauce and <laughs> charred asparagus and the delicious Asian slaw and dressed crab with mayonnaise, smoked mayonnaise as a starter, you know, brought to my door. I am on for that occasionally. He's tried something and he's finding it's working. And this is another of my great philosophies, which is uh, treat small steps as experiments. Rather than uh, trying a big step, which will cost you a lot of money if it fails, try a small step. And if you're pushing on an open door, you notice immediately you start pushing that the door begins to move. If you're trying to pull on a door, you spend a lot of effort and it's not moving. If you're pulling on this door and it's not moving, try pushing. Yeah. That's really interesting because now you know that pushing is just doing something interesting. Now we can push a bit more. Now we can try it a bit more. So I would encourage people to try small things, rethink the world for how it is now as opposed to how it was and how perhaps we wish it might be, but it isn't. And think about what can I try that may produce something and then 
the people who's going to succeed and thrive will be the ones who adapt to this new world rather than complain about the old one. It's very interesting because a lot of the information or posting, you know, people are sharing at the moment opinions on how adaptable we are. And I've used the word pivot a fair bit, actually. And the other day I heard somebody say, oh, I'm over the word pivot. Can we just get rid of it out of our vocabulary? You know, two fingers down the throat type of reaction. And then I started to think about it and I thought, okay, so really what we're doing is seeding new ideas, right? We're seeding possibility of an opportunity. So when you talk about pushing the door, whether it's open or it's still pretty closed and how hard you push it, in a way, we're seeding something new. The trouble with pivot is it's very difficult to see it happening at the time. It's much easier to look back and say, oh, that was the moment when everything changed. But uh -huh. at that moment, it just feels like utter confusion. It's very, very hard to see a pivot while it happens. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a thing you recognize with hindsight because it's a time that when things change, but you did something and it worked and then that built. And you say, oh, well, we pivoted. It's very difficult to plan a pivot. I think you can just do your best. But if you pay attention, you'll see that, oh, this is working. This is beginning to look different. Now we can do it. Actually, the biggest changes in the world are still a whole bunch of tiny steps. Yeah, yeah. And even the things that look like enormous overnight successes turned out to be 10 years worth of hard work. So it all comes down to really developing those skills to trust yourself, that you've got some, what I'd call the grit and the guts, to have a go at something, to be curious enough, to try and look for those small steps. And they're all really strong self-awareness skills that you also know then how you can apply those to understanding the people that are around you, whether it's your family or your, your business partners or your colleagues or your team or whatever it is that you're leading. There's some pretty strong core skills there that just really go around being curious and being willing to learn. Yes, being curious and being willing to learn and also willing to engage other people because often when you have an idea and you're talking it through with someone and very often they will you know, give you some feedback or they'll get excited about it and that's a good, really good sign you know, <laughs> when that happens. Uh, on the other hand, I've had more than one person come to me over the years say, I've got this great idea uh, and it'll change the world and I say, what is it? And they say, I can't tell you. And of course, these people disappear and they never get heard of ever again. You know, and particularly, we, we've now got, I think, much better with the internet, with the idea of sharing stuff. Yeah. There's so much resource out there that you sharing an idea with a few friends or trusted colleagues, really, that's, you know, that's a tiny step. But it's absolutely crucial in getting some feedback, getting some suggestions. If people are excited, if they have ideas to build on it, you know, it's a good step. I was only thinking when you said that about some people don't want to share their ideas. And then I thought about this whole swing that be generous, give away your best work and you will have people follow you and come to you. There's a bit of a balancing there of how you go about sharing your best work with each other, with colleagues, with a community of influencers and thinkers. And then also how do you balance that to make actually cover your costs to pay your electricity bill to buy the beautiful shrimp that is now happening in Edinburgh, you know? So one of the things that 
people have got much better at is this idea of leading with value. And these days, you can't just say, I'm very good. You've got to actually show that you're good by giving people a taste or whatever of what yeah. you do. And something we've just started doing on the host leadership website, hostleadership.com, is we're starting to share a tip every month, a host leadership hint, a small thing that you can do to lead like a host. The very first one just came out last month, which was about how to create uh, space in online meetings as well as uh, you would in uh, an actual physical meeting, uh, authored by my colleague Pierluigi Pugliese from uh, Germany and Italy. Uh-huh. We're giving those hints away every month. People can sign up on the front page at hostleadership.com and we're starting to engage people as well with uh, every couple of months having a free introductory online session about host leadership and on the in-between months having a meetup about some particular aspect of the, the ideas and the model. So if you're interested in that, listeners, uh, that's the place to go and find out about it. I'm really glad you mentioned that and um, a number of your books, if people were interested in doing some more research on those, purchasing them, where's the best place to go? Amazon is always a good start with these things and all my books are on uh, Amazon. Many of them have Kindle versions and my new book, Hosting Generative Change, which is about running organisational change workshops, is actually published by the Bookmaster Institute through Amazon itself. Uh, that's very much the leading place to get it. One of my advantages of being me is I have an unusual name, Mark McKergo, M-C-K-E-R-G-O-W. So if you put that into Amazon, you will find me very easily and not many other people. Whereas if my name was John Smith, it might be uh, <laughs> more difficult. So that's an advantage, isn't it? (laughs) And you're quite right. When I went to look at what your latest work is, you popped up straight away. So listeners, you can find Mark very easily. Would you like them to contact you via your website? I pride myself at responding to any inquiries that come. I should warn people that I have a policy of putting the same amount of brain into the answer that they did into the question. So if I get somebody, you know, who's uh, spent five seconds thinking of a question, they're going to get an answer that I spent five seconds thinking about. Right? If you've got a question or a thought that, you know, you've thought about, I will very happily get engaged with that. So sfwork.com is my other website so do go and look for that my contact details are publicly around on all the websites so thank you thank you and usually at the end of each of our conversations we have a call to action and i really like the notion of the next three years because i think we have to think big and act small which is what you're talking about being able to have a look at what the next three years might look for us. So listeners, how about we use that as your call to action between this session and our next episode, combining your big and tiny steps, looking to the future, perhaps where you think you might be going or not going, what's on track? What are some of the small signs that things are actually looking positive or are getting you to the next place? Would you like to add anything to that, Mark? Uh, I'd say also think about what can I do in the next few days? that will sort of edge me a little bit closer. Tiny, tiny thing, a little thing, um, just to try out. And if we keep trying things out, then we find things, some things will work, and then we can do more of them. And that's the way that we can move forward. And it's trying to fight what's going on around you that gets hard work and that gets people down 
you know, yes, be frustrated with it, but use that frustration to, you know, to channel yourself into, well, now what's the next small thing I can do? So doing more of what's working well, yeah? And if I do something new today, every day, that, that's something to do with what I have in mind in three years' time, then interesting things will start oh, to happen. And if you kept a journal on that, imagine you could track it. That would be very interesting. Okay. Right. It's time to say goodbye. I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation and I'm very grateful that that email that I sent you had enough content in it, was long enough to get the yes from you and say, yes, Carrie, I'll have a chat. <laughs> I love that. Everyone, if you would like to know more about what I do in my work, please pop on to carriebenedict.com. You'll find me on all socials. I'd love you to also think about the place of music in your life and whether you can use it for those three purposes that music does for us, how it affects our physiology, get us up and moving, get our blood pressure up, get us moving. Nothing like a groove, as far as I'm concerned, to blow the cobwebs out and to make you look at life through a slightly different lens. It also helps with our emotions and really we can help to understand ourselves and others. And I'm going to try Mozart this week, so that's my challenge. Let's see where it leads us. Over to you now. If you would pop onto Podbean or Spotify, you'll find us on all podcast platforms, Thriving Matters podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Benedet, and I'd love you to give me a thumbs up if you think the conversation has been interesting. Just remember, go gently. Your thriving does matter. The way you interact and connect with others helps you understand yourself and others. And let's leave something for the world to be really able to use. Thanks, Mark, once again, from the beautiful Edinburgh. Thank you so much. Till next time, bye everyone. Bye.